1: Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm Doug Burke, your host. And today we are thrilled and honored to have Linda Perry, who was a 2015 inductee into the Hall of Fame of Songwriters, with us to talk about the backstory vision and creative process of her songwriting. So, obviously, you started with Four Non Blondes, but Why did you start writing songs and when did you start writing songs? I know you got your first guitar at the age of five. I think you wrote songs like Pity Birds and Desperate. Pity Girls. Pity Girls. girls. (laughs) It's a Pity Girls and Desperate. Sorry, I make a lot of flubs. (laughs) And then obviously you had the breakout smash with What's Up. Mm -hmm. um, Do you know how many times that video has been listened to on YouTube?
2: No. I feel like somebody said that it, it was like it broke something massive.
1: It's $859 million. Listen, almost a billion. It's your most played.
2: How much money I probably made on that? Like $5.
1: Part of the reason I started this is to um, actually fix that problem. I believe songwriters are overlooked in the Spotify Pandora world in, in a, in a radical way.
2: Well, you know, when you were in m t v and your your video played on m t v if it was played in prime time, you got forty nine ninety five and if it was played in the after hours it was thirty nine ninety five and then you got you know your money from radio, so songwriters were making a lot of money you know pre two thousand I' I'll just say, and then computers happened, and they weren't prepared. Nobody thought that this would come to this and And it's unfortunate. Like I can have a song on Pandora play 500 million times and I probably made $1,500 off of that. If that happened to me before 2000, like I would be completely taken care of, but it's like, you have to work extra hard right now. The other
1: remarkable thing about that YouTube statistic is that you released that song in 92 and YouTube didn't start till 2005. So you have almost a billion plays. Your number two most listened to song on YouTube is the He-Man meme of that song with 169 million <laughs> listens.
2: You can't go wrong with the He-Man version. Do
1: you like that? I was—I wanted your reaction to that. Like, Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome. You love it?
2: I mean, I think it's anytime you have a a song and it's either parodied or performed or covered or however, I mean, I think that that's the whole thing that we have to expect as songwriters is you're hoping that you write a song somebody wants to cover or parody or do whatever it is, because that's the whole point. It's like, as soon as you write the song and you release it out there, you have to understand you're releasing it out to the universe and to the world and you have no longer have any control over what happens. And you're gonna hear bad remixes and disco versions and country versions and karaoke versions, like a million karaoke versions. And and that's amazing because you write a song all by yourself in your own little tiny world and all of a sudden the whole universe is hearing it. So do you ever feel like it's fifty-five
1: years and your life is still Trying to walk up that great big hill. be
2: 65 and 75 and 85, 95, it it'll all be the same for me. I don't, I stay okay. the underdog. I'm always like, still today, after being in this business for so long, I'll be like, I need to talk to somebody, you know, that's in some CEO or whatever. And I cold call people, you know, just, Hey, or email and say, hey, it's Linda Perry and, really like to talk to you about something. And I'm always shocked when somebody responds within five minutes and it's like, of course, you know, I still live in that shock of not understanding the scope of where I am sitting in life right now. If my career and, and success was labeled 10 steps, 10 steps on the ladder and 10 is your career and your success. To me, I'm on three. I have a long way to go and I'm constantly fighting and struggling because I don't take for granted what comes to me and I don't ever feel like I'm good enough. And so I'm constantly trying to do more and more and stay true to my heart and hopefully that, you know, I'm setting an example of somebody who is doing it her way and not the way of the industry. And I think that that's kind of why people pick up my call because they know I'm very credible because I'm super transparent. I'm really honest. I'm right to the point. I don't bullshit. I deliver quality. I might not have quantity, but I definitely deliver quality.
1: You're an incredibly authentic songwriter and person. And we're grateful for that as your listeners here at Backstory Song. Why did you call the song What's Up when, you know, The chorus is not that?
2: Well, probably because what's going on was already taken, and you can't really fuck with a song like that. But also, I thought it was more interesting. It's like, you know, what's up? What's up with fucking the world? What's up with where I'm at right now? It felt more grounded and more true to the song, you know, like that was the intention. The intention was. Not what's going on. It's more like, what the fuck is up, man? It's like, why is it always seem like either I'm struggling. There's some fucking political mess happening. Why is this all happening in the world? And I think it was Reagan. I think at the time when was it ninety three? Reagan ninety two? What ninety? No, what was ninety? I think felt like that was Reagan or Bush or the. It was Reagan or Bush. But, you know, there were some really not so awesome choices being made, but I'll take those motherfuckers back in a heartbeat over the one stupid idiot one that we have right now. Yeah. And I don't, I'm sorry to be harsh, but it's like, it's laughable, but then it's super sad, you know, because it's like, I'm not coming from a political point of view. I'm, it's not democratic versus Republican. It's just human and the human that is standing as a leader is it's pathetic. It's 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 like, is this for real? You know, I keep thinking Mark Burnett is producing the presidency right now. Just let's throw this in. Just say this and I guarantee it's gonna make good TV. You know, like literally think I swear to God, I, I really believe that theory that Mark Burnett is standing behind the president and producing him right now. Mm-hmm. Producing a mess and these people are gonna go down in history of all this disruption, you know, but beauty is coming out of it, community is coming from it. There's a world that's wide awake. A lot of wonderful things will happen during this historical, extremely historical time in, in our life with all the shit that's happening right now, all at once
1: and i think this is why this song has such legs to it the what's up what's going on is a double entendre it's something that you say to your friend hey what's up what's going on you know but that's not what you're saying in this song is it it's like you're saying what the f is going on here in this world and that question has not ended it's in fact it's probably gotten like more pronounced for the world
2: that's why the song is timely and it can go it'll have A Lot of Legs, it'll continue to be this epic, anthem-ish type of song for all the generations to come because I think that there's people that try to write songs that are for today and then there's people that are trying to write songs for life and those are the songs that I choose to focus on is how am I going to make an impact to this generation, the next one? What can I say that's going to be here 20 years from now? Those songs are harder and you don't write as many of those. So I focus on that, you know, and I think that What's Up is definitely a song that when my son is 40, he's going to be playing to his kids and they're going to be singing it. And I'm certain it'll be still a classic in the world. And you get one of those, man. It's fucking awesome just to have one. But I got a few of those, you know, right now. So it's I'm happy about that.
1: Yeah, you have many of these, but, you know, this was your breakout. You you and Krista Hillhouse Hill and the band were playing in this club scene in San Francisco. I guess that's where you work the song out. What One of the things I love, and I always ask in my backstory song, is I love lyrics that are not words. And almost the entire chorus and the break of this song are these things like, hey, it's not just, hey, it's, hey, yeah, 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 you know? And then it's, ooh, did that just come to you? When you write, ooh, do you write, oh, oh, dot, dot, dot? Like, when you write the lyric out, how does that happen as, as the songwriter?
2: I actually rarely write my lyrics down. So I ad lib. I just keep doing that until... I find the lyric. And so with What's Up, it was literally me just sitting there and and I just kind of opened my mouth and I think I, st- cause I was 24, but 20, I said 24 years of my life and still trying. And then I was like, that doesn't sound right. And then I just went 25 years, that felt like right, you know? So then, and I just make it up 25 nah, dah, dun, yeah, trying to get up that and just ad-libbing. I do that. I did that, I think for probably a good 30 minutes. And then all the lyrics just started showing up. And then when it got to that break after the chorus, it was like, well, I don't want to hear any words. I'm just right now. And I just went, ooh, 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 ooh. I was tending to write lyrics there and I was putting that as a filler, but then I loved it so much as I. Was like, no, I'm going to leave that. I think, you know, sometimes you don't have to say words. It's an emotion and it's some of most people's favorite part, that one area. No question. So I just try to stay true to the song. I don't edit as I go along. I just am playing. That's just how I am as a songwriter. I, I ad lib and I'm just on the fly. You can give me three chords right now, tell me anything, and I'll just, you know, make up a song right here on the spot with you live, you know, and because i have that trust in that deal with my creative like hey listen i promise i'll be honest if you just let me have the creative i'll be worthy to that and so that's kind of the deal i have
1: you have amazing gut instincts about this stuff it's it's a gift it's very few people on the planet can do that and both the hey yeah 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 part and the ooh part i think Some of the greatest non word lyrics ever written. You know, my brother and I, we love the version of Buy a Little Help from My Friend by Joe Cocker, where, you know, you just like, what's he saying? Well, it doesn't matter because he's just communicating this emotion. Yeah. And you communicate emotion in such an effective way, both in the actual word lyrics, but also in these non-lyrics. And it's throughout your songwriting. We're going to come up to some other songs where it plays a role. It just sounds like birds cooing when you go to the break. Anyway, so you go in the studio with David Tickle as your producer. And, you you know, you've talked about this in other interviews, how You know, you guys trusted him, you know, signed by the label, Interscope Records, top label in the country, maybe, you know, one of the top ones.
2: They actually weren't. The the greatest thing about Interscope, why I chose them, you know, band wanted all the bigger, fancier labels. Interscope was independent and they just started. They had Marky. No, they didn't have Marky Mark. They had Gerardo. They had Primus. And um, yeah, maybe they had Marky Mark and then they had Four Non Blondes. They were just starting out, so I loved them because they were boutique. And then they, what they really had was Jimmy Ivy, you know. And then obviously Jimmy Ivy's just a star. So at the time, we actually broke Interscope. Four Non Blondes was their biggest act, and we broke them. So Jimmy has an immense respect and loyalty, you know, with me. And you know, we ended up being very good friends, and I confide in him a lot. And but yeah, so they know. They know what we did. And they weren't expecting it at all. But yes, so we're in the studio with David Tickle. And he was not my choice. But when you're in a band, it's a democracy. You have to raise your hand and vote. And he won because the band all voted for him. I was looking for something, you know, I wanted Steve Lillywhite. I was actually even interested in Terry Date. He's a really great engineer that did all the Mother Love Bone and did all those guys back then in Seattle. And really incredible engineer, underrated guy. So, I was trying to get a little more raw, and the band chose uh, David Tickle. And, you know, it wasn't my personal thing, but I've never been in a studio before. And I just felt like it didn't sound good to my ears. And so I remember playing a guitar and, and being like, oh man, this. And when I'm in the live room, I'm like, I'm in a Les Paul and, you know, 63 Vox. And it's like, oh man, it's fat. It's like in my face. This is, man, this is awesome. And then I'd go into the control room and I'd hear. The guitar and it'd sound really small, very distant, you know? And I didn't know he was compressing it heavily and putting a lot of reverb on it. So, and i will go, David, come in here. And I'd play. And I'm like, it's like thunderous in here. You know, where is that? I want to hear that in the room. Why can't I hear that? And he was like, Linda, just let me be the producer and you just be in the band. And that's how all my questions were met by that guy. It's like, can't you just be the singer? Let me be the producer, blah, 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 until he ruined what's up. And I took it to the label and I said, I'm not releasing this song. This is horrible. There's just no fucking way. I got the band to go with me to the plant in Salsalito. We had one reel of tape and I produced it. I went in there, dialed in sounds. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just listened to what sounded good to my ears. The engineer there helped me. He was extremely you know, behind me. And because I had played him the original, what David Tickle did. And he's like, oh, so we did that all night long. David Tickle showed up like around, I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning, right? When we got our last take, we mixed it and got it delivered for master the next day. And when I presented the fact that I should be producer on this, I was met again with everybody this time. Can't you just be happy you saved the day?
1: (laughs) One of the greatest songs ever written, most loved by the fans. I guess they
2: were wrong on that one, huh? And so that is the actual version, you know, I produced and David Tickle did not produce it. So from that moment on, it was like very clear to me that I will never, ever experience that ever again. That's never going to happen. We're not going to have these dudes telling me just to go and be a singer because they think they know more. Um, So I became a major ball buster. And er, ever since that day, I'm like, that will never, ever happen to me again. It hasn't. And if it does, I just call it out right on top. I'm like, you know, there was this one incident with this one producer where I did a song for Gwen Stefani, What You Waiting For? And so I did the whole demo. The demo was awesome. And they asked, the producer asked for the session. And I was like, okay, I'll give it. You know, if they want to pull stuff, fine. That motherfucker used pretty much my whole demo ah. including vocals and didn't put give me production huh. and I was like those are my guitars that's my backgrounds that's my lead that's my bass you know those are my drums that's all my shit in there those are my keyboards
1: what did you do
2: <laughs> yeah and exactly I think he he beefed up the beat and added another bass and that was about it and it came out with no production for me I went to Jimmy I said, hey this motherfucker so Jimmy, on the next round of CDs, he pulled it and put my name on there. I don't think I've even heard of that producer since then, you know? So he had a reputation for doing stuff like that. Everybody let him slide because he was a big producer. And they were even telling me just, you know, you should just let it go. That's what he does. And I'm like, no fucking way. You kidding me? I'm not going to work my ass off for this motherfucker to take credit. And so I stood up for myself and got my name back on there. And, you know, and with this business, you have to. Yeah. You have to fight. It's a struggle. It's not an easy business. It is not. My son is showing interest in. He's five years old. He
1: Oh, God. That's when you started. That's when you got your first guitar. <laughs>
2: like a David Bowie. I'm telling you, my, my son is insanely talented and creative and, and very theatrical. I'm not kidding you. Sometimes I'm watching him and I'm like, gosh okay, this is going to be his journey and I'm going to let him have it, but I'm a little scared for him and what this business is going to be, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, right?
0: Save big money now on new siding from LP SmartSide at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding.